Hello, all you people. I am Greg Potters, and welcome to another episode of the AlbumReview.net podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and thanks for your interactions and feedback. Your, your feedback is much appreciated, and it helps me to always improve. So today is my 17th podcast episode, and once again, I'm going to do something new. Today, I will be reviewing the live concert album and film, The Last Waltz which for those who don't know was a farewell concert that was performed by the band in 1976 at the Winterland Ballroom in San Francisco. A film was also made of the performance by famed producer Martin Scorsese. And I'm going to talk today about the band's history, how the concert came about and what happened to the members after that fateful night. But before I get started, I wanted to remind you that you can listen to all of my podcast album reviews by going to albumreview.net and click on the podcast tab. You can also read over 30 written reviews and pick up some merchandise from your favorite bands, including strong quality hard cases for your mobile phone, both iPhones and Androids, plus things like t-shirts, albums, sound systems, and the most recent edition, the bookstore. So if you wanna pick up a, a biography or autobiography written about your favorite musician, Go to albumreview.net and click on the store tab. I've got artists on there such as Slash, Eddie Van Halen, Eric Clapton, Errol Smith, the list goes on. So, all right, if you're ready, I had so much fun researching this. So let's get it going. This is a review of The Last Waltz, a live concert album performed by the band. Get ready. This is a special one, you know why? Because you don't have to be a fan of the band to enjoy this. I can remember hearing and seeing the recording of The Last Waltz for the first time, shockingly late in the year 2000, and my mind was numb. My brain decided to go on vacation after that, for I had not been a part of a concert performance, virtually of course, that moved me when I had known nothing about this band. On Thanksgiving Day, November 25th, 1976, the rock and roll group, The Band, played what was advertised as their last concert. The, the band was leaving the road and they were going to party just one more time with friends, family, and an audience of about 5,000 people at the famed Winterland Ballroom in San Francisco at the corner of Post and Steiner Street. After piano organ player Richard Manuel of the band was injured in an accident in early 1976. Coincidentally, the group members admitted that they'd become disenchanted with touring. They decided to take a break for a little while, leave the road, and become a studio band, kind of like what the Beatles did in 1966. Legend has it that guitarist Robbie Robertson led this idea while the other band members disagreed, but <clears throat> however... Robinson has refuted this rumor and claims the true story is that the group were really all in agreement with this break. So famed promoter Bill Graham, who essentially promoted every amazing concert in the late 60s and 70s, look it up, uh, he helped organize and promote this concert. They were to serve turkey dinners to 5,000 attendees entertained by orchestral music and a bunch of poets that were invited. The venue was chosen because it was really where the band started. It was where they debuted as 
the band by themselves in 1969. Robbie Robertson was known as saying, we wanted it to be more than just a concert. We wanted it to be a celebration. The idea for the concert snowballed and the band also agreed in part to do a feature film documenting the entire evening. So for this task, they hired none other than famed film director Martin Scorsese to direct and shoot the grand party. And during the film, Scorsese manages to celebrate the band and the end of an era, which he concurrently tells a, a captivating story of the artist's never-ending battle with the human condition. So going back in history, the band, originally from Ontario, Canada, they started as a backing band for renowned rockabilly singer Ronnie Hawkins, and they did this from 1959 to 1963. And instead of calling themselves the Ronnie Hawkins Band, similar to like um, the Dave Matthews or the Freddie Jones Band, the group called themselves the Hawks, which is pretty cool. They, they later joined Bob Dylan after uh, working with Ronnie and became his backing band. The band were really Bob Dylan's first electrical backing band, mind you, and they did this from 1965 to 1967. So in 1968, the band moved on from Bob Dylan and they went out on their own, achieving really remarkable success, selling copy after copy after copy of their debut album, Music from Big Pink, and playing the famed Woodstock Festival in upstate New York in August of 1969. I cannot wait to go there, by the way. I've got a trip planned later this summer to go to the original Woodstock site in Bethel. Members of the band stated that while backing Bob Dylan, everyone just referred to them as the band and the name stuck. Initially, the members kind of disliked the name, but eventually it grew on them. And many music industry aficionados declare that the band is really responsible for spawning what would be known as Americana-type music. When organizing the farewell concert, the band originally planned to play on their own, no guests. But when promoter Bill Graham suggested inviting Ronnie Hawkins and Bob Dylan, they thought it was a good idea, but then they thought, oh, geez, well, we need to invite some other people like Van Morrison and Eric Clapton. <clears throat> so the list grew pretty quickly. The performance kicks off with Up on Cripple Creek, a, a song I, I, I feel like most of you guys know. If, if, if you don't think you know it, you, you know it. You, you can feel the energy and the tightness during this song. And, and for those of you who aren't familiar to the meaning tight when you reference music, it means that there's no loose air or no loose moments between notes. It's as if... Each band member is hitting the next correct note at the exact same time as the other, which is really difficult to do. When the concert gets about three songs in, the song It Makes No Difference forces me to close my eyes and smile. Robbie Robertson's Fender Stratocaster just cuts through my ribcage and into my heart. And the song is so melodic, so heartfelt, and so anthemic. It... it it can make you cry. What can I say? There are just so many crippling gems on this concert album. My hands trembled when I picked up this record and acquired a copy of my own. For I, I cannot recall a stronger concert film. And really, the, the narrative behind The Last Waltz implies 
the difficulties with the road, and these have a lot to do with the inherent tension between the artists and their audience. The film many times references artists who struggled with the incessant pressures of, of performing and of constantly drawing on the self, such as Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Elvis Presley, Jim Morrison. Many of these people, really all of them, destroy themselves with drugs and alcohol. There's one really cool scene in the movie where Robbie Robertson looks at the camera and says, the road, it's a goddamn impossible way of life. So due to Scorsese's commitments to work on other motion pictures at the time, the film's release was delayed until 1978, two years after the concert was filmed. It, it's no coincidence the final song on the live album is Bob Dylan's I Shall Be Released. So have you guys ever gone to a wedding where you didn't know the bride or the groom? Come on, I I'm sure some of you have. Maybe you were somebody's date, but during the wedding, you got caught up in the love and the passion of the moment for just a few minutes, and you kind of felt like you, you knew the couple, you, you understood them, you, you felt their feelings. I can remember watching The Last Waltz for the first time and feeling sad at the end, almost as if I had been a fan. The concert ended up going for over four hours, and by the end, you feel like you've been in their life forever. That's the sign of a good band, and that's the sign of a good film. And when this film ends, you are attached to the characters as if they were your friends. And this is hard to create and difficult to accomplish. And Martin Scorsese, man, he does it well. Just watch any of his other films and you can tell he's one of the best in the business. So I was looking this up and I thought this was pretty cool. Scorsese used seven 35 millimeter cameras to film this, which had never been done before. The crew cameraman said, this isn't gonna work in 35 millimeter. The cameras will melt. They're just not made to shoot for that long. But Marty insisted, it's probably not gonna work, but we have to try. Marty also noted, we decided during most of the concert not to shoot the audience. He said, we wanted to see the band from the audience's point of view. Robbie Robertson gave Scorsese a full set list. This is cool. And it included which members of the band along with the stage position each guest would stand in and who was singing what parts. Because of this, Scorsese, he could plan the positioning of the cameras accordingly to ensure his film crew was ready whenever there was a change in song. This is brilliant. <laughs> Just brilliant. You have to give Robertson credit too for thinking that one up. You, you almost have to fully experience this album by watching the film, you guys. The, the film gives you a front row seat. You are there. Scorsese's camera angles practically go up each band member's nose. The quality of this film, even as it was shot in 1976, it's merely superb. And anyone can notice this when you have an eye for film or not. After digging deeper, I learned the narrative of this concert was really the love-hate relationship with the road. Inevitably, 
the group had to wave the white flag, swallow their pride and say, let's do this. After 16 long years on the road, it was time to hang it up. And I thought to myself, man, 16 years. By 1976, they had been on the road for 16 years. Think about that. Especially during those years, 1960 to 1976, man, a lot changed in music during those years. So other guests at this farewell show included Joni Mitchell, Paul Butterfield, Muddy Waters, <laughs> Eric Clapton, Neil Young, Ronnie Wood, Dr. John, that one was cool, Neil Diamond, Stephen Stills, Ringo Starr, Van Morrison, and Joe Cocker. Are you kidding me? Once again, the reason I review this album is because I am convinced many of you out there have never heard nor seen this before. And that's why I get motivated to do these reviews week after week, month after month. You must, you must, you must, you must see this concert film. You must listen to this album. For the band, I think, does not get lumped into the same group as some of the other Rock and Roll Hall of Famers out there. And I don't know why. Maybe they do, but they never really did to me originally. Even though I've heard the wait a thousand times on the radio, you know that song, Take a Load Off Annie. Everybody's heard that. The band was really not on my radar. So it's my job now, you guys, for me to put them on your radar. Just... Go to songs like Further On Up The Road, the guitar battle during that song. It's a guitar battle between Eric Clapton, all hail his name, and Robbie Robertson. And it's just insane. Why haven't I seen this more? I guess I need to, I get, I need to go on YouTube a little bit more. The magic of the song, The Night They Drove Old Dixie Down, is just compelling. It's an anthem that makes you sing along with every word. But also, it's a ballad that just improves with age, just like a fine wine. I can feel the vibes of that evening and of 1976 just listening to this. It's as if I've been listening to this all my life. Do you guys ever think about days of the week having a feel like Monday or like Friday? They certainly have a feel, right? I think years have a feel as well. You know what I'm talking about? If you know what I'm referring to, you can close your eyes and just feel a year. You can feel the vibe. It's 1976 in San Francisco, one of the meccas for rock and roll music. Song after song, the last waltz concert delivers a multitude, over 21 songs. And this, the list of songs on this is just ridiculous. There, there's too many to list here in my podcast to review. This is a religious experience. There, I said it, religion. I made a reference. I'm, I just am not sure whether I missed music class that one day when they were teaching the band. The 1992 tribute concert to Lost Queen frontman Freddie Mercury, that was pretty special. I remember watching that rock star studded event and hearing all that music. Man, but this show? Oh my. I was trying to find another one quite like it. The tribute concert to George Harrison after he died, that was really good. 
There's a few others, but The Last Waltz is a collection of heartfelt moments that leave you wanting more. And when you break it all down and just sit with your headphones and listen to each and every song, the goosebump factor, you guys, it just it's just off the charts. So this film has been saluted and listed among the greatest concert films of all time. Rotten Tomatoes said The Last Waltz is a, quote, revealing, electrifying view of the classic band at their height. Chicago Tribune film critic Michael Wilmington calls it, quote, the greatest rock concert movie ever made and maybe the best rock movie, period, unquote. Terry Lawson of the Detroit Free Press said The Last Waltz is, quote, one of the great movie experiences, unquote. And in 2003, the New York Times added the film to its best 1,000 movies ever list. Rolling Stone magazine, I'm going to keep going here, Rolling Stone called it the greatest concert movie of all time. And remember that guy, Roger Ebert, famed film critic, Siskel and Ebert? Roger Ebert, who won the Pulitzer Prize for Criticism, gave the film three stars out of a possible four. All right, so it wasn't perfect. Ebert was tough, but Ebert stated that although... The Last Waltz is such a revealing document of a time, it also suggested the musicians had reached the end of their careers. Now, I think the aura of the band is a story of risk-taking, a story of hope, a story of mindfulness, and it's a story of sadness. The, the members knew they were taking a risk when they walked away from the paths and jobs their parents had paid for them when they were younger. The hope and confidence they had after the first time they jammed together. The mindfulness that Robbie Robertson had to leave the road because he knew his life would get cut short if he didn't. And the sadness painted across this story is in fact that the band members <clears throat> Richard Manuel, Rick Danko, and Levon Helm would all succumb to alcohol and drug addiction and eventually an early death. But their stories live on, and The Last Waltz captures all of this. Each time I listen to this record and I watch this film, I get this feeling as if I'm remembering what it was like to be there, even though I wasn't. It is clear that not only was the audio recorded from this concert memorable, but the film brought the music to another level of extraordinary. Don't believe me? Just watch it. Thank you guys again for listening to the albumreview.net podcast. As I've always said, I've got a new email address, so now you can email me back your feedback, album review requests, and any questions you might have to gpotters at albumreview.net. That's G-P-O-T-T-E-R-S at albumreview.net. You can also hear all of my podcast episodes and read written reviews in my blog at albumreview.net and anywhere podcasts are accessed. Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, you name it. Thank you very much. This has been fun. This has been one of the most fun reviews I've done, just digging back into the research and remembering and learning more about the band. So thank you very much, guys. Have a great day. Keep on listening. Take a trip down by the highway Take a trip down by the highway Take
Take a trip down by the highway. Take a trip down by the highway. Take a trip down.